Hey, uh, really, really glad that you are here today, and um, really glad that you're here. We, uh, before we jump into what we're talking about today, I want to let you know of a couple of different things. Um, one is May 18th, so coming up in just a few weeks from today, uh, it's next week is, is Mother's Day, the next week will be May 18th. Uh, we're going to have, uh, in the afternoon, we're going to have a time of homemade ice cream out on our church property. That uh, right there ought to be enough to get you to show up and eat some good ice cream. But if that's not enough, we're also going to be giving you an update on what's going on with our building plans. Uh, we have a team of guys uh, who have been working extremely hard uh, for the last several weeks and months getting some things together, and we're going to give you uh, some pretty detailed updates on what's going on. We're even going to have for you uh, a plan that you can look at of, of what we're looking at being able to build, and uh, so that's happening on May 18th, so be sure that you mark your calendar for that and, uh, and that you show up for that that afternoon, and there'll be more. We'll be talking about it every week. It'll be on the website. We'll be putting it on Facebook and, and Twitter and everything else, so you'll hear all about that. The other thing I wanted you to know is the guy who was standing right here, um, who sings in this mic, which you see where it comes up on me. He's really tall, and he's got a beard, and he's a big, scary-looking guy, but he's not scary at all. His name's Ben Patat. Ben is our uh, minister of students, and he does a fantastic job. And Ben has a lot of other talents as well, like you've seen this morning. And, uh, and we thought, you know, we want more of Ben around. And so uh, what we've done is uh, we have expanded Ben's role, and so he will continue to be minister of students and do the good job he's doing there, and then he's going to be in charge of what happens up here on Sunday morning as far as music and video and that kind of stuff. So just wanted you to know that. Go ahead, you can give Ben a hand for that. And give Ben's wife a hand because she is with child, as the scripture says. She's not yet great with child. You know, the, the Old Testament, I mean, the, the New Testament, the King James Version said that Mary was great with child. That means like about to, to pop is what my grandmother would say. And uh, Kendall's not there yet, but she's getting there. Coming in October, right? Beginning of October, end of September, something like that. All right, here we go. So let's, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. If you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 12. And, uh, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12 today. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It'll be on the screen here in a little bit. And uh, get into Exodus chapter 12, whether it's on your phone or an old-fashioned Bible with pages, however you want to do that. And uh, we're going to jump into that in just a second. Let me tell you what we're doing with this message series. Those of you that have been here know, if this is your first Sunday you don't know, we're, we're talking about the fact that, that Jesus Christ, that what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection is the central event of all of Scripture, that that's what it's all about. And, and we believe that everything that's in the Old Testament was leading up to that. And we also believe that as you read the Old Testament, you can actually see clues and you can see things that are pointing you to the cross. If you were in an English class, your English teacher would probably call that foreshadowing. Anybody remember foreshadowing? Anybody remember missing that on a test like I did? And so foreshadowing, and, and so you read in the Old Testament and you see something that happens and it's, it's giving you a clue of, hey, this is talking about something important that's going to happen later on. And then we believe that in the, in the everything that's after the four, first four books of the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, 
Mark, Luke, and John. We call those four books the Gospels. Gospel is a religious word that just means simply good news. And we believe that the, the, the message of Jesus is good news for everyone who hears it. And so we believe that after the first four books, after the Gospels of the New Testament, then everything that comes after that is a response to what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. So Jesus on the cross and Jesus in the resurrection is the main event of all of Scripture. And we were, if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, uh, the, the message is online. You can listen to that in a podcast. But if you were here last week, you'll remember we talked about creation. We talked about how even all the way back in the Garden of Eden, all the way back when, when the Bible says, in the beginning God, that Jesus was there. That Jesus is not a created being, but Jesus is the creator. And we talked about how even in the, in the Garden of Eden, you could see that, that there were things pointing you to the cross, that one day Jesus would sacrifice himself on the cross. Well, today we're going to go back to the Old Testament again, just like I said, the book of Exodus. We're not going to go quite as far back to creation as we did last week, but, but we're going to go to Exodus chapter 12. Now, now, before we read what we're going to read in Exodus chapter 12, I want you to do something right where you're sitting. If you're sitting near somebody you know, this will be easy. If you're near someone you don't know, then you're about to make a new friend. This is what I want you to do. I want you to tell the person on either side of you, how is the word sacrifice? How do you hear the word sacrifice used today in everyday conversation? Not, now, now I know some of you are immediately, you're thinking biblically, but in everyday conversation, you don't hear sacrifice used biblically. How is the word sacrifice used in everyday conversation? Go ahead, tell somebody beside you that right now. All right. Now, interactive church here. Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm asking this because I want you to really answer out loud. What is, what is something you said? What is, what is a, a way that you hear the word sacrifice used today in 2014 in Greer, Taylor's, Blue Ridge, Greenville, South Carolina? Huh? Do without? All right. Good. What else? Huh? Military? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. People making a sacrifice, serving the military. Good. What else? Giving something up. Giving something up that we deserve. All right, what else? Baseball. I was wondering who was going to say that. A sacrifice bunt, right? Yeah. When the, today in our world, we, when we hear the word sacrifice, we're usually talking about maybe someone sacrificing uh, their, their time to serve in the military or even sacrificing their life to serve in the military. Uh, we hear about people, we'll talk about someone making a sacrifice of money, that they, that they bought something for someone and it was a sacrifice. Or we talk about sacrificing your time. Well, you know, I, I showed up this morning at church at 8 o'clock and pulled the trailer in and helped everything get set up. That was a sacrifice of my time, and that is a sacrifice of time. Or we talk about a sacrifice bun, or we might, even in athletics, sometimes you'll hear them talk about how one guy sacrifices his playing time on the team so a younger guy can come in and, because he's better and younger and faster and all that kind of stuff. And, and all those are, that's legitimate ways to use the word sacrifice. But, but thousands of years ago, when the Old Testament was written, the word sacrifice had a totally different meaning. In fact, the word sacrifice had a, had a, a stronger, harsher meaning than, than we use it today. In those times, when people used the word sacrifice, they were literally talking about taking some type of animal, 
usually a lamb or a goat and sometimes birds and those kinds of things. And they would take those animals and they would cut their throat and bleed, drain out all the blood and they would put that animal on an altar. Now that is a hardcore use of the word sacrifice. But that was what sacrifice meant in that time. And if you read the scripture, you will notice if you start in the book of Genesis and you read straight through that, that people making sacrifices have been going on since the very beginning of time. Cain and Abel, who were the, the, the sons, the bickering sons of, of Adam and Eve, and that they, that it records in, in early on in Genesis that the two of them made a sacrifice to God. They took something out of their herds and they sacrificed it to God out of thankfulness. Noah, um, that one of the true, I haven't seen the movie Noah, but I hear it's just a bunch of made up stuff. But let me tell you something true about Noah, that when, when the, the water subsided and, and the ark finally made its, its landing on the top of a mountain, Noah got out with his family and one of the first things they did is they built an altar and they sacrificed some of these animals that had been hanging out with them. They said, you're going down, we're sacrificing you right now. And they made a sacrifice right there to God and they did a sacrifice of thankfulness. So, so from the very beginning of time, people were sacrificing animals to God. Now, not only were people who followed the one true God that we talk about here, not only were they making sacrifices, but other religions that were around at that time also made sacrifices. In fact, it was going on so much that, that when God started putting the law in place, he put specific laws in there about how you're not to, supposed to sacrifice to other gods. And there was one in particular, there was this God that people worshipped, false god named Molech, that people would sacrifice their children to. And God gives a specific instruction in the book of Leviticus that it is a sin to sacrifice your children to Molech. And after God put that in, it took away the biggest threat that, that parents had back then because they could no longer look at their kids and say, boy, if you don't clean that room, I'm going to sacrifice you to Molech. I'm sick and tired of the way y'all are bickering. Next time there's a festival of Molech, I'm putting you on the altar and burning you up. People couldn't do that anymore. Because God said it was a sin to do that. So the word sacrifice has a hardcore meaning in the Old Testament. And it's been going on since the beginning of time. Well, I, wanna, I want us to look today at a story of a sacrifice. A sacrifice that, that God gives instructions to the people of Israel that they are supposed to, to take part in. And, and we're going to look at the instructions he gives in, in Exodus chapter 12. Now, before we, before we get to Exodus chapter 12, let me tell you the, the background of where we are. Let me tell you the context of what's going on in Exodus chapter 12. A long time before Exodus chapter 12 was written and, and, and before these events took place, there was a man named Joseph, and uh, Joseph and his brothers didn't get along, and, and uh, jo Donnie preached on this just a few weeks ago, and, and uh, Joseph's brothers, they beat him up, they sold him into slavery. Joseph ended up in the land of Egypt. And through the provision of God and a lot of and just a lot of cool circumstances that God put into place, Joseph ended up being pretty much running Egypt. He was Pharaoh's right hand man, and and, and Pharaoh said, "Anything you say to do, we're going to do it because I trust you and I trust the God that you're you're serving." And so so Joseph ended up in Egypt. So what happened was where Joseph's family was from, there was a famine. And there was about to be a famine in Egypt. So Joseph called for his family to come and join him in Egypt. Now, Joseph's dad was a guy named Jacob. Does anybody who, who was just super smart about the Bible, that, that got all your pens in Sunday school growing up, does anyone know what, what name God gave Jacob? You can shout it out. 
Israel, right. So, man, y'all are a lot of Sunday school people in here. That's awesome. Israel. So, so Jacob was, well, God renamed him Israel. So the nation of Israel is Jacob's family. That's where it came from. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was one of those. He had some other sons named like Naphtali and Reuben and Dan and uh, Benjamin and all these guys. All these 12 of these sons, they became the 12 tribes of Israel. So you got Joseph and all his family, and they began to reproduce and make more and more babies. And that's one thing Israelites were really good at. We're going to talk about that. Just They were great at making babies. And so that the, all of a sudden, you had all of these people that had come into Egypt from out of town, and now they're living in Egypt. Well, Jacob dies, Joseph dies, all of Joseph's brothers die, and guess who's still living in Egypt? All the Israelites, all 12 tribes. And they are making babies like crazy. And one day, the Pharaoh, who was friends of Joseph, he also died. And it was one of his sons or grandsons. He's now in power. And he looks around and he says, man, look at all these Israelites we got around here. They're going to take over the whole country if we don't do something about this. And so he had a smart idea. I'm not saying it was the right idea, but I'm saying it was a smart idea if you wanted to get some stuff done. He said, let's make them all slaves. And so he took them all into slavery and began to make them build things. And so they were building pyramids and great sphinxes and all this other kind of stuff. And they're just building stuff and working hard. And, 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 and then Pharaoh got even, even crazier with the stuff he was doing. And he started doing stuff like saying, we're going to kill the firstborn of every, of every Israelite that's born, the firstborn male in every Israelite household. And so that it was just terrible time for the Israelites. Well, in all of this, there was a man born named Moses. And Moses grew up, and he had some rough times. He did some stupid stuff. He was living out of town for something stupid he did. And, and God called him while he was out of town, and he said, you need to go back to Egypt, and what you need to do is you need to go to Pharaoh, and you need to walk into him, and you need to say, all of these Israelites that are here, you're going to let them go. They are no longer going to be slaves. We're going to walk out of here. And at this point, we're talking well over a million people. And so Moses did that. Moses came back home to Egypt where he was raised, got his brother Aaron with him and, uh, and his sister, and, and they go in and, and they tell Pharaoh, you're going to let us go, and what do you think Pharaoh says? He's about to lose a, a million people strong workforce. What does he say? Heck no, you're not leaving, you're staying right here. So God begins to send bad stuff in Egypt. He begins what we call in the Bible plagues. And so he does stuff like he, he takes all of the water in, in all of Egypt from the, from the Nile River, every water that was sitting around in a pot in people's houses, it turned to blood. And then he did things like he sent frogs in the land and they were overrun with frogs and he sent gnats and they were overrun with gnats and all this kind of stuff. And so he started sending bad stuff. So Pharaoh started to look at it and every once in a while Pharaoh would say, you know what? I'm tired of this. Yes, you can leave. And about the, about the time they'd get ready to leave, he changed his mind. No, you're coming back. And so this went on for nine different plagues until God had had enough. And so then in Exodus chapter 11, God tells Moses, he says, I'm about to do something to Pharaoh and he's going to let you go. I'm going to do something so terrible that, that he is, there's no way he's going to let you stay in the country. He's going to want you out of there. And what he told them that he was about to do is he said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to kill the firstborn in every Egyptian household, every single one, from the highest, the, from Pharaoh's house all the way down to the, to the lowest person in the country. I'm going to kill all the firstborn 
in, in, in Egypt. And so then he tells Moses that, and then we get to chapter 12, and he begins to give Moses some instructions about what they need to do next. So look at Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 3. After he tells them he's going to kill all these people, this is what he says. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In the manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, one of the things that you notice when we read through that is God gives some really specific instructions. It's not like he just says, hey, you need to, you need to make a sacrifice, kind of like Cain and Abel. They just showed up and they chose something and it, it turned out to, to be bad for both of them. But, but, you know, Noah, they just sacrificed some stuff. But this one, God gives specific instructions. He tells them in verse 3, he says that, that on the 10th day this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. So the first thing he says is everybody's got to do this. In verse 5, then he says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. That is extremely specific command there for how they're supposed to do this sacrifice. Then verse 7. Then he says, after you, after you kill the lamb, you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then in verse 8, he says that they shall eat the flesh that night. And then he gives some very specific instructions about how you're supposed to prepare what they eat. Now, it, it, this is just very different than any other sacrifice that had happened up to this time in, in, uh, that God had commanded people to give. And he was extremely detailed and specific about it. And I think one of the reasons why he was extremely specific about why, the way they were supposed to sacrifice, the other sacrifices that had been given were sacrifices of thankfulness. But the Passover sacrifice was the way to escape from God's wrath. The Passover sacrifice was the way to escape from God's wrath. And, and so, so God wanted to be sure, I'm going to be very specific because you need to escape. I don't want, I don't want you to, to, to die in this thing. See, up to this point, God had not released his full wrath. Now, he had punished, he had punished the Egyptians. He had, like I said, he'd sent bugs and, and animals and all kind of terrible things to happen to them. But he had not sent his whole wrath. But now he was saying, I'm about to unleash it. 
I'm about to, I'm about to do something that, that is just, it's, full, it's, it's, it's anger coming from me because of what they've done to you, and I'm going to send my wrath on these people, and I'm going to kill the firstborn of every single person in Egypt. When I was uh, in middle school, there was, a, there was a guy that I knew. I'm not going to tell you his, his name because Sherry's always worried when I use real people's names that like somebody might be related to him here, and that's, that's cool. But this guy's first name was Chris, I will tell you that. And um, Chris was a, uh, a goofball in middle school, even more so than I was. And, uh, and I used to laugh at him all the time. I mean, on purpose. He, was, he wasn't dumb. He just did goofy stuff on purpose, and, um, which maybe he was dumb because of that. But anyway, but he, um, one, I heard this story. He wasn't really friends of mine. I just knew him. And, uh, but I heard this story from a guy who was a good friend of him. And it was about the time we had gotten in like the ninth grade or so. And uh, this guy talks about that one day him and Chris were going home, walking home from school to his house, and they get home, and there's stuff in the front yard, like clothes, and there's a drum set in pieces in the front yard, and there's, uh, you know, books, and there was an Atari, uh, all right, kids, this like precursor to Nintendo, just ask your parents, or maybe your grandparents, they can tell you about Atari, but it was out in the front yard, there was a TV out in the front yard, and, and it was obvious, it hadn't like been placed out there, it was obvious it had been thrown out into the yard. And so as they walked up, this guy's like, man, what's going on? And Chris said, oh man, that's all my stuff. And he said, what do you mean that's all your stuff? He said, that's all my stuff from my room. And so they get inside, and there was a note from Chris's dad that said, after repeated times of you not cleaning your room, I have decided to do it for you. And his dad had stood on the porch and just chunked everything in his room other than the furniture out into the front yard. And this was, uh, when I was thinking about God's wrath, this was an example of a parent who had had enough. I've told you before. I've told you to clean your room. All right, dadgummit, you're about to see what daddy can do. And he just threw all the stuff out in the yard. And that's, that's what was going on here with, with the Egyptians and with God. He said, I gave you warning after warning after warning. You, after I turned the water to blood, you could have let the Egyptians go and I wouldn't have had to kill anybody. After I'd given all of you boils from the head of your crown of your head to the soles of your feet, that was pretty bad, wasn't it? If you'd have let everybody go then, I wouldn't have had to kill anybody. But God said, you didn't do it then. And so now I'm bringing the hammer down. I'm bringing the wrath. You're about to see what daddy can do. And so that's what he was getting ready to do. And so, so that God gives the Israelites these specific detailed instructions so that they can escape the coming wrath that's about to happen in Egypt. Now, let me ask you a question. And it's okay for you to think this way. Just, just think about it a second. Did God, did, the, did God need to know which houses had Israelites in them and which houses had Egyptians in them? You, you can say it out loud. What do you think? I don't think so either, but look what he says in verse 13. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It makes it sound like God needed to know, didn't he? But you're right. God, God didn't need to know who was in what house. In fact, and there were some plagues earlier that if you read in the chapters leading up to Exodus chapter 12, where it says specifically that God put the plague on the Egyptians and did not put the plague on the Israelites. God knows everything. He knew who he knew who was he knew. Listen to me. He knew who was living here. He knew who was living in each house. He knew which houses had Israelites in them, and he knew which houses had Egyptians in them. So, so why was, why did, was, who was the sign for? Well, look at the beginning of verse 13. It tells us, The blood shall be 
A sign for who? Oh, you can't see it. Can we get verse 13 up there? Good. The blood shall be a sign for who? The blood shall be a sign for who? Who shall it be a sign for? Man, y'all are, y'all are just lame today. The blood shall be a sign for you, right? For you. So, so God's telling, telling the, the Israelites, listen, I know who lives where. I know who lives in a, in a house where, that has Israelites, and I know who lives in a house that has Egyptians. The blood is a sign for you. Now, why did, why did he, he want to give a, a sign to the Israelites? What, what was, the, what was the, the purpose of having a sign for the Israelites that, that had blood on their doorposts? Well, this is where we get to, to, to where we're talking about cover to cover, the, the reason these things are pointing and what they're pointing to. The details of the Passover point to the cross. The details of the Passover point to the cross. Yes, God gave specific detailed instructions because he didn't want the Israelites to experience the wrath of God. But the reason those details were there, the reason the blood was a sign for the Israelites was because it was pointing to something that Jesus would do thousands of years later. It was pointing to the cross. See, in verse 3 there, when it talks about, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. He was, he was letting them know that, listen, the wrath of God is coming, and it's coming on the whole country. It's coming on the house of Israel as well as the house of Egypt, unless you take some action here. There's got to be some action, and the action is that there had to be a lamb slaughtered and there had to be blood put on the doorpost. If that did not happen, then the wrath of God was coming on everybody. See, one of the things that we talked about on Easter Sunday, if you were here, you might remember this, is we talked about what sin is, because sin is not a word that we like to use anymore in our culture. In fact, we take things that the Bible calls sin and we justify them and we say that it's okay for us to do it because of whatever reason we want to say and, 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 we, and that we've totally changed what the Bible says about sin. But here's three things that you need to know that the Bible says about sin and it's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. This is the consistent teaching of Scripture about sin. One is that everybody sins. All of us have sinned. The second one is, is that sin kills the soul. Sin kills the soul. We can try to live in it. We think we can deal with it. We think we're strong enough to overcome it. But sin kills the soul. And then the third thing that is extremely important about what we're talking today is this. Sin must be punished. Sin must be punished. God punishes sin. There's not a sin that we commit that God says, I'm just going to let that one go today. I'm in a good mood. Sin must be punished. And so one of the things that we learn is that as as you read and as you learn more about the nature of God, we learn that, that, that all of us as sinners, we are under the judgment of God. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, this is the way the Apostle Paul talked about it. He said this, he's talking about us, talking about all of us as human beings, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead. Remember, sin kills the soul. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, what 
what Paul is saying there is, is that by nature, we enter into this world and we are we're messed up from day one. And, and, and pretty soon, we'll, we'll be committing sins. And, and when we start to do that, we are under the wrath of God. And, and in, in the, the story that we're talking about is the Israelites, they were under God's wrath even though they weren't the Egyptians. And something had to happen so that they could be spared from the wrath of God. Now, what if the Israelites had said, you know what? I know God said to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, but I was born an Israelite. It, he knows who I am. I'm not going to deal with it. This is what I know would have happened. They would have had the firstborn in that house killed just like the firstborn in the Egyptian house right next door to them because there had to be action taken so that the wrath of God could be withheld from them. One of the things that, that we deal with where we live is that we live in a, a churched culture. Now, this, you don't have this problem, and you're like, Cliff, that's a problem? Well, you, it's not really a problem, but you, you, you wait till you hear what I'm saying. This problem is not the same everywhere in America. In fact, there are some places in America where if you go to church, you're the only one at work that goes to church. But you know where we live, that's not the case. In fact, chances are, you probably drove past three or four or five other churches to get here today. There are churches everywhere. And one of the things about living in a churched culture is, is we can begin to believe that that's enough. That that's enough to satisfy God. Well, I go to such and such church. Really, you do? Yeah. And then I go talk to the pastor of that church. He said, man, I hadn't seen them in four years. Some of y'all are smiling. It's true. And, I, and let me tell you what happens to me. I'll be out and about. Oh, you know, I know so-and-so. They go to your church. And I'm like, no, they don't. I tell on y'all. I'm just going to tell you right now. They're like, yeah, they do. They say they go there all the time. I said, well, they did about seven years ago, but I haven't seen hiding or hair of them since. And so we begin to believe, well, I just attach myself to this building. I attach myself to this church, and then that's okay. Then I'm good with God, and I'm going to die one day, and I'm going to get to heaven, and he's going to go, oh, yeah, you went to vacation Bible school when you were six. Come on in. We're just opening up the doors for everybody today. That's what we think. But the truth is, is that we are all under the wrath of God, and going to church isn't enough. Putting, putting Christian on your Facebook status isn't enough. That's not enough. See, there has to be a sacrifice for sin. And there had to be a sacrifice to withhold the wrath of God from the Israelites. So if the Israelites had said, well, I'm dependent on the fact that I'm an Israelite, they would have gotten the wrath of God just like everybody else. And if we're saying, well, I'm just dependent on the fact that my daddy was a Christian and he took me to church when I was a kid, guess what's coming on you? The wrath of God. It's going to come one day. And so what, what do we have to do instead? Well, look instead what happened. Instead of the Israelites depending on being an Israelite, instead, verse 5, it says they had to depend on a lamb without blemish, a male, one year old. Who does that sound like? Who, who came to this earth and lived without blemish, was the only person to live without sin, and he just happened to be a male. I'm sorry, ladies. I know this is the, the age of women empowerment and all that stuff, and I believe in it. I am married to an empowered woman, and I'm excited about that. But 
But Jesus was a man. And so when God said, take a male lamb from your herds, one that has no blemish, one that is perfect, what was that pointing to? That was pointing to the fact that one day Jesus would walk on this earth, he would never commit a sin, and that he would then sacrifice his life for us. And then when you get to verse 7, when it says that you're supposed to take some of the blood from that lamb and put it on the two doorposts of your house, what is that pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that Jesus would be crucified on a cross and his blood would be spilt just like the blood of those lambs way back in in Egypt were spilt and and then put on the doorposts of the houses. And then and, and then it talks about in verse 8, it even talks about to eat the flesh. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. What does that mean with who God is? So see, the way God chose to save Israel was pointing the way to the way he would save us as humans from sin. The only way we can be saved from sin is that there had to be a sacrifice made for sin. And Jesus was that sacrifice. Now, how do I know that to be true? It seems like I'm pulling a lot from the Old Testament and just sticking it in the New Testament, don't, doesn't it? Let me tell you how I know it to be true. The night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples with him. And they all got together in a room up in a, up in a house that there was a borrowed room because Jesus didn't even have a house. And the room had been prepared for them and they sat around and guess what it was they were celebrating. They were all good Jewish people and they were celebrating the Passover. And as they celebrated the Passover, as they ate the Passover lamb, as they ate bread as they drank wine together, Jesus began to talk to the disciples. And he told them, he said, that Passover lamb that was thousands of years ago in Egypt that that saved the the Israelites from the wrath of God, he said, I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to spill my blood and this is going to be the new covenant. This is going to be the new way that the wrath of God is withheld from you. It's because of what I'm going to do on the cross. And then he took the bread and he said, this is my body. Remember, he's the new Passover lamb. This is my body. What did the Israelites do with their Passover lamb after they put the blood on the doorpost? God said for them to eat it. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. Eat this. Eat my body. And of course, it was a symbol But he said, eat my body. And at one point when Jesus was teaching, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place with me. And so Jesus was talking about the Passover lamb and he said, I am the new Passover lamb. So what happened in Egypt? Exodus 12, 29. This is what God did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who was sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. See, the thing that we can learn there is that everyone in Egypt suffered the wrath of God. From the most powerful person to the lowest prisoner in jail. And the things that we can learn from the Passover, the things that we can learn from this story that point us to the cross, there's two things we can learn, and one is this, that everyone is under the judgment of God. Everyone is under the judgment of God. And if that's where the story ended, it would be a sad story. But here's the, the, the good ending. Because of the blood of Jesus, everyone can be rescued by the grace of God. Your sin, my sin, has, has us under God's judgment. We are children of wrath. But we can be rescued from the wrath of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus did 
on the cross. And it's only by His grace. And then I love that, that something God told the Israelites to do. Look at Exodus 12, 26 and 27. So He'd given them these specific instructions. And He told them how to eat the lamb and all this stuff. And, and He told them to, to eat it like you're ready to go. And the reason why was because they had to be ready to go. Because the next morning Pharaoh was going to say, get out. And they had to get out of town. And so he tells them all this stuff. And then he tells them, you're going to continue to celebrate this even after you're out of Egypt. And then he, look at verse 26 and 27. He says this, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. God told the Israelites, You need to remember what I did for you. That tomorrow, I'm going to kill the firstborn of everybody in Egypt, but I'm sparing you, and you need to remember that. What did Jesus tell his disciples that night in that room when, when he told them, tomorrow I'm going to give up my life for you, I'm going to shed my blood, and I'm going to be the new Passover lamb? And then he said, every time that you do this again, what are you supposed to do? He said, remember me. Remember my sacrifice. And God said all those thousands of years before, as you celebrate the Passover, remember what I did for you. Now that remembering is extremely important because life is difficult and things don't go our way. And we need to remember the grace that God has made possible for us to accept. I don't know about you. In fact, you probably aren't like this, but uh, sometimes uh, I don't like it when things don't go the way I thought they should go for me. And sometimes when that happens, um, it gets kind of overwhelming, and I'll tell God what I think. I know y'all don't do this. Um, but I had, a, I had a situation like that just recently, and, um, and, it was, and, and some just things had happened, and I'm not talking about things like, my team didn't win a game or I didn't get the parking spot I wanted at Walmart or something. I'm talking some serious, you know, stuff had gone on, personal kind of stuff that, that, uh, that I just felt like I didn't deserve. And, uh, and I had a conversation with God, or really it was more of just me kind of yelling at God. And I, I had this little rant, and I cleared off a spot, and I pitched a fit uh, in front of God. And, uh, and I began to talk to him about these things that I didn't deserve this. And, uh, and I, even, uh, I even did, I know none of y'all ever do this, but I even outlined things I'd done for God, like somehow I'd done Him a favor. You know, God, I started this church. I get up here and preach every week. Do you understand what the sacrifice is? You know, and I'm just doing all this stuff and saying all this just ridiculous stuff coming out of my mouth. But, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I'd been thinking it all day, so I thought, well, He already knows it. I might as well go ahead and say it. And as I was saying it, one of the things that I said was, is I said, I haven't earned this, these things that have happened. I said, I haven't earned this. I haven't earned this. I've earned better than this. I deserve better than this. And it was like I heard the voice of God say, he said, the only thing you've earned is you've earned my wrath and you've earned my judgment and you've earned my condemnation. That's what you've earned. See, my sin has earned me judgment. My sin has earned me God's wrath. My sin has earned me to be condemned by God. But the cross of Jesus instead has made available, instead of wrath, He's made available mercy. 
Instead of judgment, he's made available grace. Instead of condemnation, he's made available acceptance. But it's only because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So what I I want you to think about today is I just want you to think about where you are in relation to the wrath of God. You see, you're either sitting under God's judgment and there's no hope for you other than the blood of Jesus or you're sitting under the blood of Jesus and wrath can't touch you because of what the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross and the power of the resurrection. And you can give your life to Jesus. You can escape the wrath of God. You can can begin to follow Jesus, but it takes an action for you. Just like the Israelites, they had to to take that blood and they had to paint it on the doorposts of their their house. And God says, you accept me. You tell me you want me and I will paint my blood on the doorposts of your heart. And the wrath of God will never touch you. I'm going to say a prayer. Our band folks are going to come up and we're going to sing a couple more songs just about the blood of Jesus and about how it saves us and how it's our only hope. And as we do that, if you need to know Jesus personally, I want you to be praying about that and I want you to find me. I'm going to be right down here on that side after the service. And I want you to make a beeline for me and knock people out of my way so that we can talk. Let me pray. Father God, it's so easy for us to get distracted and um, to think that this world revolves around us and our plans, but I I pray today that we would be reminded that, that you have a much bigger plan that's been in place long before we were ever thought about. And that everything we do on this earth, we need to do it in response to what your son Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I pray today that there will be somebody here that for the very first time they come to you and they give you their life because they know they can't, they've made a mess of it. They can't deal with it anymore. And they would ask you for forgiveness and they would trust in the cross and you would change them from now on. And God, for those that are here today that already know you, I pray that that they would remember, that this week they would remember the sacrifice and they would understand that it's only because of the cross that we can experience grace, mercy, and acceptance. Thank you for the word of God, the Bible. Thank you that the message of Jesus is so clear throughout it. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.